Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. On our eighth episode of School of Coin, Eddie and I are going to be covering mining. Current Moscow time is 1677 at 710-713. 7:10, and as a reminder, the Bitcoin Stoa is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at our homepage at bitcoinstoa.com. Or you can stream sats using something like the Breeze app, which has a really badass podcast feature. And at the end of the day, one of the best ways to support the project is simply by sharing it with others who might be curious to learn about Bitcoin. It's free. Um, donations are optional. But the more people who understand Bitcoin, the better world we can get towards living in. With that said, let's dive into mining. And I think it's important to kind of frame this in saying that today's objective is to introduce the concept of mining and keep things fairly basic without getting too deep into the granular details. And our aim is to cover all the major elements that come together in Bitcoin mining so that listeners can sort of begin to understand what Bitcoin mining is, what problem it solves, and how the system is designed to reward those who play by the rules and essentially punish those who try and cheat the rules to make sure that we're all playing the same game. And in order to unpack Bitcoin, I think it'd be important to back up a little bit and give a summary of Bitcoin and a couple definitions. So I'm going to run through that. It'll be fairly quick, but I think it'll build context. Um, you know, if someone listens to this and isn't fully versed on Bitcoin, this will give a bit of context on where mining fits into it. So Bitcoin is a global decentralized digital monetary system. The Bitcoin protocol is open source software that outlines the rules which govern the network. By participating in the Bitcoin network, essentially individuals are agreeing that the rules embedded in the protocol are fair and that they choose to abide by them. Bitcoin is owned by the people who use it, not any government or company. The decentralized ledger, aka the blockchain, contains the data of every transaction that has ever happened on the network, and the ledger is completely transparent and held by everyone, not controlled by a central entity like a bank. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin in existence, and this finite scarcity is a big part of what gives Bitcoin its value. New Bitcoins are created with each new block that gets added to the blockchain. This is called the block reward and a new block is added to the blockchain approximately every 10 minutes, and the number of Bitcoin created each block is hard-coded into the protocol, which outlines the quantity and rate at which Bitcoin are created. Every four years, the number of Bitcoin created each block is cut in half, and this is called the halving. Now, I think there's four definitions to go over. They're very brief, but they're important because it'll allow people to really understand some of the terms we're going to use. First one is minor which I define as a group or uh, a human or a group of humans that are engaging in the activity of Bitcoin mining. Next one is an ASIC, which stands ASIC, which stands for application specific integrated circuit. Really, that's just a fancy name for saying a super specialized computer used to mine Bitcoin. The next one is ledger. So the ledger is the place where account transactions are recorded, you know, who owes what to who. And in Bitcoin, we call this ledger a blockchain. It's essentially a series of information batches, which we call blocks, strung together almost like pages of a book. So that's what the blockchain is. And the last one is transaction. And transaction is defined as an exchange or interaction between two parties. You know, I send you Bitcoin or you send me Bitcoin. Those are transactions. So with all that said, let's start with a really fundamental question, which is what is Bitcoin mining? And maybe before I even start to list mine, uh, Eddie, you listed a really badass definition from Saifuddin Amus, who's the author of the Bitcoin Standard. Uh, maybe you can plug that one in there to get us started, because I think it really is like a zoomed out view of it and a really potent one. Yeah, definitely, Nick. It's funny because, you know, even when when uh, you and I are working on 
providing an explanation for what is Bitcoin mining, I think it's necessary to give that brief overview of all the moving pieces in Bitcoin, um, because it is necessary to, to have that big picture. Um, and I think, like you said, this uh, definition from Safedean is quite a high overview, but I do think it is pretty cool. And that is that Bitcoin is a technology that converts energy or electricity to truthful, uh, truthful records on the ledger or the blockchain through the expenditure of processing power. And so that kind of encapsulates that whole um, piece of the mining side and how essentially, um, you know, any miner is going to be using that energy to produce or verify those um, transactions on that ledger. And, and that kind of is what provides the basis for the objectivity, um, you know, in, in uh, writing the, the blockchain. Yes. Yeah. Really well said and good, uh, good find there, Eddie. I think one thing that's important to say that I didn't even write down is that you and I are still learning, right? And some of the things we say here, looking back a couple of years out, will probably be wrong. And, you know, our hope is that we're just putting out the best we know right now, uh, having done the research we've done up until this point. But um, please comment or uh, write us if anything we say doesn't reflect the truth that you have, or is different from what you understand um, regard to mining. So, as mentioned, Bitcoin transactions are recorded on a shared decentralized ledger. What that means, decentralized, really just means that no one, like if you have your money in a bank, the bank is holding the ledger of who owes what to who. With Bitcoin, we have that same ledger, which is just a way of accounting for who has what Bitcoin and who is sending what to who, but it's decentralized, meaning that no central entity holds that. We, every individual running a node essentially has a copy of this ledger. And that transparency is what allows us all to verify that the ledger is true to what's actually happening. With that, new Bitcoin are created with each block. Each, each block is essentially like my favorite mental model right now, and I'm explaining this to like friends and family, is that the ledger is like a giant book. Each, book, each page in that book is like a block. And all the pages strung together um, is like the blockchain, right? It's a bunch of pages strung together chronologically and interconnected. And so when each, basically what a miner does at a high level is they use computer power, computing power to compile all the global transactions that are happening approximately every 10 minutes into a batch, which is like a block. And those batches or blocks are strung together into a chain or a blockchain, which serves as our collective ledger that we can all see for all transactions that happen within the Bitcoin network. And um, this computing power requires the expenditure of energy. And as a reward for the service of putting up energy and playing this game called mining, which we'll kind of talk about at a high level, what is the game of mining? Um, and for accurately compiling transactions, miners are compensated with a block reward, which is Bitcoin that gets created every block uh, and transaction fees. And so I think, you know, if you let's, and we're going to be reiterating simple points because really I think that's the important stuff here is really understanding at a high level, what is this? You know, the function that mining serves is creating and ensuring the accuracy of the global ledger and also the creation of new Bitcoin according to an agreed upon schedule as a reward for securing the blockchain and creating those pages. So, you know, what were maybe like, what were your first impressions when you heard of Bitcoin mining? Like, where did your research lead you initially? And how has your sort of understanding of mining changed? Because, you know, it's a, it's a freaking deep topic, right? And you can go in many directions and many rabbit holes. 
but at the end of the day, I think understanding it at a high level and seeing the value and importance of mining is really important in order for you to be able to rationalize and understand why are we using so much energy and really to make sure that people understand that that energy is being put to good use. Um, so yeah, like what are your initial, what were your initial impressions of mining when you heard about it? Yeah, it's funny because <clears throat> I was just thinking about uh, this episode a few days ago and I have always kind of likened, I, I really like the idea I would say, and, and I guess this is just me putting my opinion out there, but you know, Satoshi um, naming this, this thing, um, this essential part of Bitcoin uh, that you know, provides that truth, um, that truthfulness to the ledger um, as mining, it, it, it reminds me of gold. It reminds me of like gold mining, digging, you know, mines and things like that. But, you know, that can really like that. I think that at first, like could really con it confuse me and, um, you know, really kind of, you know, in a way it kind of makes sense where you're being able to issue new Bitcoin. So you, right. You're, you're maybe mining gold. So I, I understand that analogy, but besides that, I didn't really, you know, have any relevance to what it meant for me, what it meant for Bitcoin and um, really like the exact, you know, uh, bits and pieces of it, the nuts and bolts of like mining itself. Um, and now I, I think that, you know, saying it over and over again um, and really kind of breaking down my, my basic understanding of what mining is, um, you know, cause then you, you think about it like, okay, um, well, it's not gold. They're not digging up these Bitcoins. They're not, there's these, you know, or Bitcoin, you know, these things are not um, physical, um, they're digital. And so, uh, you know, you, you hear about these computers running Bitcoin mines. So that's like really at, at a basic level, that was like all of my understanding of Bitcoin mining was that you've got these big computers, they're somehow creating new Bitcoin, don't know what function they're serving. And, uh, and yeah, they're using a lot of energy, quite possibly, it's what you hear. Um, and what I've like kind of taken from that, um, you know, now with the little bit of knowledge that I do have in the space is that a miner expends energy to provide unbiased proof of work for the Bitcoin ledger or the blockchain. These math equations uh, verify each transaction before writing the next block and in reward for doing this proof of work and the energy required to do these hard mathematical equations, a miner is rewarded in Bitcoin. And I think that that is like about as technical as I've gotten so far. Um, but it feels good to be able to kind of say that out loud and, and, and think about that um, because it, it kind of highlights a lot of different important pieces of, of mining. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, was kind of my basic understanding and also, uh, kind of what, you know, what I've been able to build up to as of now. Yeah. I think the, the metaphor with gold mining, um, serves people well initially to have sort of a mental model to place Bitcoin mining into <laughs> like the whole concept that, okay, to mine gold, you need technology in terms of machinery and you need energy in terms of like Sure. human energy to operate the machinery or fuel to fuel the machinery in order to extract some scarce resource from the environment. Now that's about the end of where it applies, right? Because you really have to use it metaphorically in that, okay, energy and technology to extract a scarce resource. But after that, it kind of goes a little bit fuzzy because <laughs> it's not a physical resource. Um, there's a schedule that limits how much you can extract. Um, and it's, for the, and you know, the way that you, um, 
are given that resource for putting in that energy is actually by uh, validating and generating blocks in the blockchain. So that's where things get a little bit squirrely for people. But I think it's a good metaphor initially. And it's almost like there's like these layers, just like with Bitcoin, there's layers of understanding, right? The superficial one is like, what the hell is mining? What do they do? How is new Bitcoin created? What is the blockchain? Like those are the big questions. And that's like layer one. Layer two, then you get into, okay, well, how does how does this mining game actually work? And we'll talk about that next, but like that's a deeper layer of understanding. And then even deeper, you have things like the difficulty adjustment or like what is hashing? What's a hash function? And you have all these depths. I think a lot of times what happens is people start to research something and what they really need initially is that superficial layer and really to dial in and not just memorizing, but like, and knowing, but actually understanding, like how does this work and how does that fit into this puzzle piece of Bitcoin? How does that integrate? And I think what happens is they get little pieces of the superficial, then they'll get like a, a deep piece and they'll get confused and they'll be like, oh, this is too complicated. But I think if you sequentially approach it where it's like, it's not a race, but if you consistently learn about it and understand that you start with the simple, general, broad, superficial things, once you've dialed that, then you go to the next layer and make sure you're staying within the layer of where your competency is. It's a lot easier to kind of understand these things. And, uh, you know, I'm still working through the layers, like I'm sure you are, but as you get a broader, um, as you get a deeper understanding of each layer, you really start to be able to connect the dots between all these different pieces. Um, Let's talk about the game of mining, because I think it's really a, a really good mental model for me is to think of mining as a game. Um, and, you know, there's this quote from Charlie Munger that he says, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. And I think if you understand the game and what the incentives are and disincentives are, you can kind of understand, OK, well, this is the outcome that's being nudged towards. And, you know, I, like I said, I like to think of mining as a game. It has a clear set of rules. Anyone can play. Uh, and basically a winner is picked for this game approximately every 10 minutes. And the reward for winning is that you get Bitcoin, which is paid in terms of a block reward and in terms of fees. Um, game theory is sort of the study of the interactions amongst rational decision makers in situations that have a set of rules and uh, that have set rules and, and set outcomes. And so the Bitcoin mining game is essentially a lottery. It's a guessing game where you're trying to guess a large random number that solves uh, an equation, and you do that by using computing power. The first person to solve that problem wins. The more powerful your computer is, the more guesses that you're allowed to make per second. And you know, if we go back to the lottery analogy, the cost to buy a ticket is one unit of computing power. The more computing power you have, the more lottery tickets you can buy, and therefore the higher your probability of winning. But you can put up a, you can buy a shitload of lottery tickets, and you might not win. So there is an element of risk where you're putting up these resources. In this case, it's computing power and energy. You're not guaranteed to get a return, but you do control your probability of winning based on understanding how this lottery works. So each unit of computing power requires energy to power those computers. So not only do you need the computer itself, the equipment, which is like the ASIC, right? That specialized computer for Bitcoin mining, but you need to pay for the energy to power them. And this is why Bitcoin requires energy. Um, we're not going to cover today the difficulty adjustment mining pools. We're going to cover these things in hash power, which is a dedicated show where we talk to Bitcoin miners. Um, and we also dive deeper into Bitcoin mining concepts, but, you know, once again, simplified game theory, guessing the random number is done via hash function computation, which is literally just like a, like you said, a math problem. And a good way to think of that is like a Sudoku puzzle. 
Okay. If I give you a Sudoku puzzle, if no one's familiar with Sudoku, you can just look it up. It's very simple, but it takes a lot of effort to solve it. But say you solved the Sudoku puzzle, I can very easily and quickly verify to make sure that you solve that puzzle according to the rules of Sudoku, right? So that's kind of like this lottery where you're using computation power to essentially solve a Sudoku puzzle. It takes a lot of energy and computing power to do that. It's a giant Sudoku puzzle. But once you've solved it, you can submit it to other people and they can easily verify it. And that's the thing with mining is it's difficult and energy intensive to solve each 10 minute, approximately 10 minute problem. Uh, which is writing a new block in the blockchain, but it's very easy to verify. And if you submit uh, a solution to the network and it doesn't abide by the rules, then the network declines that as a valid block and you don't get your reward. So you've expended all this energy and then you're not rewarded. So it's, there's a disincentive to cheat and there's aligned incentives to abide by the rules because otherwise you don't get paid. And I think that that game theory is very, very important because essentially it makes it costly to cheat and profitable to abide by the rules. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I uh, I really um, like that uh, aspect of Bitcoin. Um, in terms of like game theory, I think it's really cool that it was kind of written in to uh, the whole network. I think you know one of my thoughts was is like as far as uh, as far as someone who is typically very um, like a, kind of a spec, like, you know, I kind of, I kind of am very guessing, you know, a lot about, um, you know, when you think about a miner and then you think about being able to earn Bitcoin and then you think about being able to follow the rules and, and okay, well, you know, how can this guy be honest? You know, how can, how can there be, how can you break the rules? You know, and uh, I think for me, there can be like a long string of questions, you know, a long string of like speculation that you can have about mining. But what I really think is beautiful about Bitcoin and game theory is that it, it really it like it just makes zero sense to cheat. And uh, every every one of my speculative questions that I've had uh, about cheating, you know, especially in the creation or the mining of new Bitcoin, this, that's the scarce resource that it is. Um, I've, I always um, end up like, you know, uh, departing with that idea. And so I think as far as game theory and uh, how it's tied in with mining, I think it's, it's really awesome and aspect of Bitcoin. And I think that it does give me a bit of confidence that, uh, you know, I mean, essentially, like my understanding of mining is that you, it, you know, its purpose is to remove, you know, the trust uh, that you place in a third party, and and you know, mining provides that objective, um, mathematical, you know, proof of work, that work that it has to put in, the energy that you have to pay for, you know, as a miner, you have to put in this hard work, um, which, you know. First, it verifies transactions, but then it also uh, helps issue new Bitcoin. So it's like this big circular, um, uh, you know, kind of container in itself. And, uh, you know, applying game theory to it makes a lot more sense as far as, you know, understanding the, the different aspects. Yeah. And a lot of people ask, you know, how do we know there's only going to be 21 million created? And I think it makes you kind of turn back a little and say, well, okay, it all boils down to the protocol. The protocol is a piece of code that states, these are the rules of what this game is. And you can be involved in this game 
in, in, in relatively non-participatory terms by acquiring the asset that we're talking about, this, this um, you know, Bitcoin, the scarce, re- scarce asset, it's hard money. Um, but you can also participate in this game by actively playing a role in how this thing actually works. And really at a core, at the core of that is the blockchain, or as you know, people are starting to call it time chain, which I actually kind of like way better because blockchain has just been abused to oblivion by people claiming they're making blockchains. Um, and if you really look at blockchain as just a ledger, how do we as a planet without needing trust coordinate on a mass scale to ensure that this ledger actually reflects the truth? right? That is the fundamental challenge, right? Like if someone can just fuck with the ledger, then the whole system breaks. And so if you attach sort of a game associated with in order to create a page in this, in this book, in this ledger, in order to create a block that's in the blockchain, you must use a lot of energy and prove that you used a ton of computing power to ensure the accuracy of um, the page that you're submitting, right? And that page is a compilation of the world's transactions that have been done on the network and you have to use a shitload of energy and computing power to ensure that that block that you're submitting that new page to the ledger you're submitting is accurate and your reward for doing so is that you are paid in the native asset of this network which is bitcoin and i think it's really beautiful because you know like satoshi essentially created a piece of code that said when this first starts, the first four years, every 10 minutes, there's going to be a block reward of 50 Bitcoin. So if you submit, and at the start, there weren't very many people holding Bitcoin or mining Bitcoin. So you could use like a, like a, a computer in your house to mine Bitcoin. And you could be rewarded 50 Bitcoin every approximately 10 minutes and not need to use that much computing power. As the amount of computing power held within this network increases, the security of the network increases, but the difficulty of mining Bitcoin uh, also goes up where you need a lot more computing power and a lot more energy to now win that reward. And, you know, it started at 50 and then four years later, it went down to 25 and then it went down to 12 and a half. Now it's 6.25 and it will go down to 3.125 and it keeps going down and tapers off until the year 2140 where there's essentially no more Bitcoin mined. And I think as of today, which is November 21st, 2021, there's a lot of 21s there, which I think is kind of cool. Um, you know, we, we are at a stage where about eight, I think it's like 18 and a half, maybe a bit more by now, million Bitcoin have been mined. So there's really only, uh, you know, there's not very many left to be mined, right? There's like two, close to 10%, if I believe. Correct. Yeah. So there's only two and a half more Bitcoin to be mined. And, and, you know, like I said, every four years, it gets the reward you get is cut in half for solving that problem. The energy you got to put up stays consistent, which means, you know, I think that's a really important element. We'll talk about that later because the fact that Bitcoin gets more and more expensive to create, you have to put more computing power and more energy into the process of mining and submitting a page to that ledger over time has a really significant byproduct effect on the price or the value of Bitcoin. So um, let's talk about why mining requires energy, because I think it's important for people to understand why it requires energy. And then I'd love to talk about sort of energy FUD and the attack vector of basically claiming that Bitcoin uses too much energy that people who have control in the system right now love to use to try and steer people away from this sound decentralized money for humanity. So mining requires energy. 
The only way to guess the random number is to apply computing power to a, the process of computing a hash function, which essentially is like an, a, just a mathematical equation. Um, and in Bitcoin, this is known as proof of work, like you stated before, Eddie. And by guessing the random number, it proves that you've expended a certain amount of computational effort, which requires energy. So essentially, in order to guess the number, you have to put up computing power. That computing power requires energy. If you guess the random number, the only way you could have done that is by putting up a good amount of energy and computing power. Therefore, guessing the random number has embedded in it a proof of work where like you had to, you know, essentially that means that the Bitcoin network is backed by energy and computing power, which both have an associated cost. And I think to understand this, like let's contrast it to the fiat system, right? Fiat dollars, which are backed by no proof of work. There's no real world cost to creating trillions of US dollars, for example, out of nowhere. And this is the fundamental problem with fiat that allows people to abuse money creation, right? Those in power can create as much money as they want. There's no associated cost. There's no skin in the game. And, you know, this is fundamentally what makes Bitcoin a fair monetary system. To create Bitcoin, you need to expend computing power that has a what Nick Zabo calls an unforgeable costliness. You can't pretend to use energy because energy is absolutely essential in order to power the computing power. So, you know, this is where it comes back to an important principle from episode three um, about money, where money is a good and the value of any good trends towards its marginal cost of production over time. That's a really important one. I'm going to say it again, the marginal cost of producing, uh, the, or sorry, the marginal value of any, the, the, the value of any good trends towards its marginal cost of production over time. The marginal cost of producing Bitcoin is the expenditure of a tremendous amount of computing power and energy. And this cost doubles every four years with the halving. So if the marginal cost to produce a fiat dollar is zero, it will essentially trend towards zero over time. The marginal cost to producing a, a Bitcoin uh, is energy and computing power. And this cost goes up over time the value of Bitcoin will follow that trend over time. And I think that is such an elegant, beautiful way of ensuring that Bitcoin is backed by something that, that essentially is a global language, which is energy. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on sort of that concept? Yeah, I think some people would go like right away and be like, oh man, like that seems like a lot of energy. Like if 90% if, uh, of all Bitcoin have been mined and, um, you know, the last Bitcoin is going to be mined in, in the year 21, you know, something, which is a, pretty far out there. 2140. 2140. Exactly. So it's like almost irrelevant, irrelevant to me. Um, but the idea is like, you know, and, and with the having it's, it's, it's obvious that this computing power is going to need to be stronger and stronger and stronger every year. And it's going to become more and more competitive. And so <clears throat> Yeah, like the, you know, someone who, who uh, like me, who didn't really uh, think about energy much could be like, man, that's a lot of energy. Like, I don't know if I want to, yeah, I don't know if that's really seems like a good thing, but it's actually a really great thing is what you're explaining, Nick, is that like the, the energy that's used to power the Bitcoin network is essentially what is providing its security. And I think that's a really cool thing. I think that, you know, the, the, the ability to have, you know, a mine, a mine, a miner, uh, solve an incredibly hard equation that is easy to verify. It's hard to do, but it's easy to verify. 
Um, and you have so many people and even more and more people, like if you look at the statistics with, with uh, you know, how, how much easier and more popular mining has become in 2020 and 2021, um, you know, it's like proof of work is a really great thing. And uh, it, it's what is really kind of at the core, uh, you know, of the Bitcoin network and why it provides so much value and why it's becoming uh, so valuable, uh, you know, over time. Yeah, proof of work essentially doesn't allow you, uh, like it, it associates a cost with producing something, right? And I think that is so important because without that, uh, it's very easy to forge something. It's very easy to create unlimited amounts of something um, because there's no skin in the game. There's no need to put up um, money or energy or computing technology in order to create something. So yeah, it's, I think for me, the fundamental thing is like over time, Bitcoin will become more expensive energetically um, and computationally to create. Therefore, if the marginal, if the value of a good transport is marginal cost of production and the cost of production energetically and computationally of Bitcoin is increasing, it is going to, the price, the value of Bitcoin will increase over time. And, you know, the inverse is true for money that we create out of nowhere. Um, well, that central governments or, or, you know, the, the very few who control fiat monetary um, policy are creating incredible amounts, incredible amounts of units of that currency. The only reason they can do that is because it costs nothing to do. And I think that's really the fundamental reason why mining requires energy. And this is maybe a good spot to transition over to energy FUD because, you know, if I, I think a first thing to mention is that if you don't understand how important Bitcoin is for the world, if you don't understand how important sound money for humanity is for the world, no amount of energy will ever be justified, right? So you can shit on how much energy use, uh, Bitcoin uses as much as, you, as much as you want. If you don't understand the importance of Bitcoin, then it's not worth one joule of energy. But if you understand how important sound money is for humanity and for enabling us to coordinate at a global scale and how important that is, right? It's the base language we're all going to use to coordinate with each other. And even something like having things on a, in a grocery store be stocked regularly requires mass coordination. Well, then sound money is actually really important. It's so important that it might be the best use of energy of anything on planet Earth, right? Like heating your home uh, is important. That's a good use of energy. But if we don't have sound money, we can't coordinate to make sure that the energy providers actually get energy to your home, right? Like I think Venezuela is a beautiful example of this where they have massive amounts of crude oil. But when money breaks down, the coordination required to ensure that the people who are accessing the oil, refining the oil, transporting the oil, delivering the oil, that breaks down. So even though you have all this oil, this, this energy that's ready to extract, if money breaks down, you can't convert that energy over to usable energy to the people who need it. And, you know, like people say, well, heating your home is a better use of energy or, you know, they can say a bunch of things, but it's like, what they don't realize is that without sound money, you can't even heat your home unless you're collecting firewood yourself. And that's not the situation for most people. Um, so energy FUD, you know, FUD, we covered that in episode one um, or, or maybe episode two in terms of terminology. FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And many people currently holding power in the fiat system are scared of Bitcoin and rightfully slow, right? Like Bitcoin takes the power away from the corrupt political elite and gives it back to the people. And so the people who have the power right now are feeling it slip away and they're going to do everything they can 
to fight Bitcoin because it takes away the power that they've unfairly held and are continuing to grasp hold of. And their primary weapon in fighting Bitcoin is FUD. Fear is putting fear, uncertainty, and doubt into the minds of people to, to essentially try and steer them away from learning about or acquiring Bitcoin. And so they essentially try and disseminate lies and misinformation. Um, and one of the most powerful ways they do that is by putting FUD into the narratives uh, around how much energy Bitcoin uses to, to uh, secure the network. And like I said, in order to understand that Bitcoin is the world's best use of energy, you have to understand that sound money is the most important use of energy for humanity. Um, and if you understand how a fair global decentralized money system, how important it is for humanity, you realize that in order to achieve that, Bitcoin actually uses an incredibly small, even though taken out of context, the amount of energy can be big. Uh, it's actually a very small amount of energy when you look at it through an objective global lens. And so, you know, there's a ton of stats about how much energy mining uses, but my favorite one and the most powerful one for me that I mentioned um, is that global Bitcoin mining consumes 0.38% of the world's wasted energy. So energy, so wasted energy is energy that's created, but not put to use because we either can't transport it or don't have uh, an outlet for it to be used. And, you know, essentially that tells you that energy is incredibly abundant on earth and the entire Bitcoin network uses one third of 1% of the energy we create, but that we waste because we don't have a way to store or transport it. And that's that, um, it was taken from the Bitcoin mining council, 2021 Q3 briefing. And I don't expect you to believe me that it's true, right? Refer to that presentation, which is available on YouTube. It cites their resources. Um, in order to get that, that they use in order to get that number. So please go check it out and validate, um, validate the truth yourself. But I think that that stat really puts things into context, right? Because when people say Bitcoin uses more mining than this country or Bitcoin is going to boil the oceans, it really comes from a place of um, being misinformed and literally trying to um, bend the truth to make it sound like Bitcoin is terrible and it uses all the world's energy. But in reality, the entire network uses a third of 1% of the world's wasted energy. And I think that helps put things into context for people. How much has energy FUD come across your radar in your conversations with family and friends or, or just your, um, you know, research and learning process into Bitcoin? Yeah, man, I see it all the time in my research. Um, I don't think I've had the, I really haven't had the honor to really engage in a lot of good energy conversations with um, any family or uh, friends just yet. But I think it's a really good point that, you know, a lot of people fail, including myself, fail to understand the importance of sound money. So once you are able to really understand the importance of sound money and give Bitcoin a chance maybe try to understand mining a little bit and see the importance of how that, you know, how that piece, you know, comes together in the whole picture. I think that um, when, when it comes to energy, I was reading a really good article by Nick Carter called the last word on Bitcoin's energy consumption. And I think he just really put it uh, fairly well in like a half of a sentence for me. It's that a lot of people nowadays, um, their argument is, is like coming from a perspective of like which industries are entitled to consume energy and how much. And I like, to me, that just is a, is a failed, um, 
like if like again if you understand the sound money perspective if you if you if you see how much money has been printing you know if, if you compare it to fiat money um and a money that is controlled by people you know that's why we want to opt for bitcoin we want to opt for something that is controlled by the community um and by the network as a whole not by a few select individual people but you know that, that's that's the that's really like I kind of think like that's the silver bullet with with uh, energy um, is like really Bitcoin is an incredibly important industry. And not only that, but it's an incredibly versatile industry. Like you said, it's using a lot of runoff energy. I've learned a lot about that in the last couple of months where you just learn about all this wasted energy that is coming, you know, that essentially um, uh, power grids and energy grids are unable to harness and hold on to. But you know, for a, a hypothetical example, like a Bitcoin rig could be airlifted and dropped into, you know, a remote river to be able to, you know, obtain that energy and use it there. And so um, that gets me pretty exciting, uh, pretty excited because uh, you think like, I mean, I know that Bitcoin um, is an, and I think that everybody should look this up, but Bitcoin is a very green industry and it's only going to get greener. And you know, uh, from the last few points that we were talking about, about, you know, how it's going to energy is sustaining Bitcoin and it's also holding itself up. Um, and I think that that is uh, is only going to get better, you know, in the future. And, and it's it, one of the like last points that I want to make is that like what you said, Nick, is that like, it, you know, I don't know how many years ago, 12 years ago, you could mine Bitcoin um, and do everything, you know, essentially acting, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a laptop or a computer. But now, like with the industry, you know, with with the community leading it, you know, you have uh, these very specialized industries now where you have like a lot of um you know, money going into mining and, and making it better and making it more efficient. And, uh, you know, it's like it's the whole net, the whole Bitcoin network is making itself um, better and more robust um, over time. And mining is a huge part of that. And energy is very essential to that. Um, and so I think like, yeah, you know, Bitcoin is an essential industry. And, uh, you know, when I do have the opportunity to talk to more people, I think that it's like it's a simple conversation about about having a sound money and, and being able to, you know, convey, uh, you know, some, uh, maybe some, some truths about energy and truths about energy grids, you know, and, and how energy is harnessed, which, is, which I think is just not really like talked about. And, you know, I mean, in the mainstream media news, which, you know, the FUD that we're talking about, it's like, they're not talking about, you know, the, the behind the scenes, how everything works. They're just going to tell you the, you know, the, the red flags and, and stuff to make you emotional. So. Yeah. And I think there's a, a law called Brandolini's law where it takes an order of magnitude, more effort to dispel bullshit than to put it out there. And, you know, a couple of points that you mentioned that I want to kick off on is like, you said that Bitcoin is a, is a green Bitcoin mining is a green industry and it will only get greener over time. And I think it's important to say like, why, why, like, how do you know that? Why? Why would it get greener over time? And I think it boils down to show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Bitcoin is incentivized to find cheap energy. Renewable energy, wind, solar, hydro is much cheaper than dirty energy like coal and oil. It requires, you know, like once the infrastructure is there, um, some of that energy is intermittent, right? Like it's not always windy. It's not always sunny. Um, you, there's not always water flowing. But if you take all these 
in aggregate, you can even out and make sure that you have constant energy supply, especially considering Bitcoin mining is decentralized globally. Um, and like geographically, it's in different spots. But if Bitcoin wants cheap energy and renewable, sustainable energy is cheaper, Bitcoin will inevitably gradu- uh, gravitate towards green energy and wasted energy, which means that it's like, it's energy that's already being created, but we don't have a use for. And I think an important thing for people to realize is like, you can't really understand Bitcoin until you understand money. You can't talk about energy until you actually understand energy. And I think most people come to bring up energy as um, a negative when it comes to Bitcoin with zero background understanding of how global energy systems work and how Bitcoin uh, is incentivized to use and find energy, right? It's like they quote a headline and they're like, what do you think? Bitcoin is going to boil the oceans. What do you think? It's like, dude, I, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, you can't just fucking quote a headline and expect me to give you a lesson about energy. Um, you need to do some work. And so Bitcoin gravitates towards clean energy, towards renewable energy. And when you talked about the fact that like you can literally airdrop a Bitcoin container full of ASICs into a random spot that has energy available, you know, it really leads me to these thought experiments as to like, how is Bitcoin going to change the world in areas that are remote, in areas that are um, you know, not developed nations, right? Like, and it, and I always get this kind of image of a a village in Africa with a hundred people. They're completely disconnected from most institutional systems, right? They're self reliant. They literally live like humans are supposed to live, right? They probably hunt for their own food. They support each other within a community, but they're pretty much off grid. Those villages can now have cell phones because you can airdrop a cell tower with a solar panel. And that person who never had any hope of ever having a landline physically connected to a, um, like an internet hub now can have internet because you can plop a tower with a solar panel. Um, and maybe they live near a river that's rushing all year long for them, which have, a, and they have a very low cost of living, right? Like they might need like, I don't know, $10 a day or a dollar a day per person, the equivalent of to, in order to survive. And maybe they use that money to trade cows with the next village or something like that. If they can plop down a rig near a river, harness the power of that river to generate the world's best money that they now have access to and can store it and secure it and use it to trade with other villages, that's pretty special, right? And they don't need a giant operation because they don't need very much money to sustain themselves. And I think this whole notion that anyone, it's an open game, anyone can play. No one is making sure that you're allowed to play. The only cost of admission is computing power in whatever level you want. Granted, if you have a low level of computing power that you're putting up as your cost of admission to gain, to get a lottery ticket, you have a low probability of winning. But with that said, anyone can play. And I think that's a very important element because it doesn't make it, um, it doesn't gate it, right? It doesn't say like, oh, you're not allowed to play this game because you're not special. Anyone can play. And the more people that come and play, the more computing power there is protecting this network that essentially protects sound money for the world. And I think, you know, this whole notion that I think people fundamentally think energy is scarce. I think that's a really false assumption that I hear most frequently. It's like, well, if Bitcoin's using that energy, we're not using it for maybe things that are more important. And I don't think people realize that like creating and harnessing energy is not hard. Transporting and getting energy to the right place is the biggest element and is the reason why we waste so much energy, right? Like I think it's in Germany, they have tons of wind power. They generate tons of it. It's, it's uh, intermittent. So they'll have periods where it's generated. A lot of it's generated periods where not very much generated. 
when it's generated at a high level, they don't even, they don't have the capacity to use or store that energy. So it just gets wasted. And so the fact that you can now take a computer, plug it into that wind turbine so that when the energy, when it's producing huge amounts of energy that would otherwise be wasted, you can use that to secure the world's monetary network. That's some special stuff. And I think we're seeing more and more of that where people, you know, for example, I live in Canada, the province of Quebec has unused hydropower because we just don't have homes for the power that those dams that are already built can generate. So we don't have to build more dams. I think um, Samson Mount, or no, it might've been Adam Back from Blockstream had this beautiful quote that he put um, on Twitter where it said that if we used um, the province of Quebec in Canada alone has so much unused hydroelectric power that you could use half of the unused hydroelectric power from Quebec and you could power the entire Bitcoin network with just that. That's one province in one country with energy infrastructure that's already in place that we don't use because we don't have uses for the energy. So I think what I'm trying to get at is that energy is not hard to produce. Energy is hard to transport. Bitcoin mining removes the transport requirement and allows you to bring the energy user, which is these ASICs, these specialized computers, to the source of energy directly. And that allows many things like, for example, flared gas that just gets burnt off because there's no place to put it and it's too expensive to transport. You can plug a mining rig into flared gas and use that unused energy that was otherwise just shot into the air. Not only are you stopping it from, from contributing to greenhouse gases, you're using it to power the world's best money. There's some crazy shit, right? And it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. But I think what people need to understand is that Bitcoin is not necessarily stealing energy from us that we would otherwise be using for other things. It's capitalizing on clean energy and wasted energy, which makes no difference to the day-to-day -day lives of people, right? It's not stealing energy from people. And back to what you said, like, we've never really targeted an industry for energy use until now, right? We've never, we've never targeted clothes dryers in the United States as using too much energy, which PS, they use more energy than the whole Bitcoin network. And so I think it's really a, a non-starter, right? I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't even defend Bitcoin's energy use because we've no one ever defends their energy use, right? Like energy gets allocated by the market to good uses. And so even, you know, I've even heard some hardcore Bitcoin people that are like, I don't even entertain that argument because it's dumb. And I think it really is if you truly deeply understand the mechanics of this bullshit people are trying to pull by saying Bitcoin uses too much energy, you should stay away from it. It's a very shallow, misinformed argument. And uh, it seems like that's not really holding much weight anymore. I'm not seeing it as much because I think we've kind of dispelled that FUD and are moving on to the next one. So, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And uh, like while you were uh, kind of going on that thought experiment there, it really kind of made me think about, um, you know, when you have like the world's best money and you're able to like, you know, essentially you know, as time moves on, like more and more of the globe is able to tap into that network, just like, you know, I think, I think about like the internet. And because I was like, I remember starting to use computers quite heavily in 2000. And like, really, like, you know, the information age that we're living in nowadays, it's been so like, you know, the internet being globally available, you know, I would say, for the most part, obviously, in some parts of the world, it still is not. But you know, for the internet to be globally available has been so transformational. And so like when you explain, you know, being able to like airdrop a mining rig um, container, you know, into, uh, you know, a certain part of the world and for that to be able to be harnessing energy and then allow, 
the humans that are in that region to tap into a global network, a global monetary network that is like, that is held up by the rest of the globe. You know, that's like nothing that I've ever could imagine ever in my life. And, you know, so it it just shows to me the importance of Bitcoin mining and the possibilities of it. And so it just makes me want to continue to stay curious um, in that space and constantly dispel any FUD that, um, you know, comes up about energy. And like you said, it really just honestly doesn't make sense. Like a lot of the energy um, FUD just is relying on people's, un, you know, uh, lack of knowledge of, of where energy comes from and how it's harnessed and how it's transported. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's uh, like a lot of really great opportunities for the future as far as, you know, um, just informing other people about the FUD and also just seeing how the mining industry is going to be kind of immersed and intertwined in the rest of the world. Yeah, and, it, you know, one of a really good analogy that I heard, I think it was from Sailor, was that Bitcoin is the ultimate battery for energy right? Where, okay, you, you know, I have this little battery that uh, this little battery pack that I bring with me when I travel, I plug it into the wall, I take energy from my home outlet, and it gets packed into this little battery pack so that I have energy available to use wherever I am, even if I don't have a plug to go into. So it's a b- basically a way for me to store energy. And this whole notion that essentially, Bitcoin is a battery that allows instant conversion of energy, like kinetic energy, or electrical energy, into monetary energy because that's really what money is right it's tokenized energy or it's monetary energy and so the idea that you can convert it on the spot instantly electrical energy to monetary energy means that like bitcoin is the a giant battery for earth that we can plug all the wasted energy into and instantly convert it into sound money and i think that's a very interesting way to view how Bitcoin mining essentially enables the conversion of electrical or kinetic energy into monetary energy. And we've never had this kind of opportunity before, right? We've never had this technology to be able to do that. And I think the ways in which this will be um, implemented globally, like you look at El Salvador, they're literally plugging in a volcano into the Bitcoin battery. And that's going to enable the people of El Salvador um, to essentially join the rest of the world in in getting, in becoming more prosperous, right? It benefits every El Salvadoran benefits when El Salvador plugs their volcano into the battery of Bitcoin. And I think it's just a very, it's almost, it's very hard to conceptualize because it's such a mindset shift. It's such a uh, paradigm shift in technology. And, you know, it has a lot of implications for um, energy companies, right? Like, for example, if you're an energy company and you're supplying energy to a city, well, you have a limited amount of play in terms of what you can charge for your energy, right? Like you can't double your energy rates overnight because regulators will say, well, no, you're not allowed to do that because some people won't be able to afford your energy and heat their houses and that's fucked up. So you're not allowed to do that. There's no regulation like Bitcoin computers do not um, have that same regulation, right? So an energy company can charge a lot more for their energy to a Bitcoin mining company who is profitable because there's no regulation stopping them, right? And so essentially energy companies, which are low growth, low profit margin, um, can essentially become mining companies, 
right? Like they have the, the fuel that these computers need. All they need to do is acquire the, the computers and they can now become a high margin, high profit company with zero regulatory um, limitations. And they can make a lot more profit from the energy that they create. And so this has very interesting, this creates very interesting dynamics in the power world, right? Because now if you are, a, are an energy operator, it's way more profitable to shoot that energy, to give that, to sell your energy to Bitcoin than it is to sell it to homeowners or consumers or anything else. And it's cheaper to get the energy there because the computers come to you instead of you getting the energy to the computers. So I think there's, it's going to open up a whole new realm of possibility in terms of how we use energy, how we access energy. And, you know, the last section to talk about before we do kind of a summary was this uh, interplay between technology and energy, right? Like the two primary variables in Bitcoin mining are technology and energy. In terms of energy, you have like the sources of energy, the cost of energy. And then in terms of technology, you have the performance of ASICs. Right, these specialized computers and the performance in ASICs has two kind of key metrics. One of them is millihashes per second, which is, you know, if a hash is one calculation, let's call it millihash per second is how many calculations can this machine perform? How many millions of calculations can it perform per second? And then the other metric is uh, millihash per joule. So how many, how many millions of calculations can this machine compute for every joule of energy used? And so really the, the big thing there is that as time goes on and more advanced hardware is developed because technology inevitably progresses, right? You have ASICs that can do more hashes per second at relatively lower energy input in joules. And so as a machine gets better, you're able to process more hashes effectively. And so I think, you know, one of the mental models, one of the false assumptions that I think a lot of the energy FUD used was that, okay, if Bitcoin uses this much energy right now, and the hash rate is going to grow X amount, by this point, it's going to use so much energy that it will be infeasible. And what they didn't really count on, what they didn't incorporate or think of is that there's plenty of energy. Number one, there's plenty of energy that's getting pissed away. So if we capitalize on that, there's not actually this huge increase in energy that we need to produce. We're just using energy that's not otherwise getting used. And number two, machines become more efficient over time. So although the hash rate will go up over time, the energy used by those machines because they're getting more efficient doesn't go up at the same rate. And so I think that those, you know, I, I really find it interesting. And one thing I'm talking to all these miners on hash power about is like the interplay between technology and power, because if you have really cheap power, you probably don't need really good tech, right? Because even though it's a lower efficiency mining rig, if you have free power from a volcano, it doesn't matter what hardware you're using. Whereas if you have fairly expensive power, you need to have the best machines so that you still remain competitive. And so it's like this, this very Darwinian ecosystem of energy is battling with technology for, for dominance, depending on where the miner is located and how much access to capital or access to technology they have. And one thing we're facing right now is like, it's really hard to get ASICs because all the giant mining companies that are well capitalized that are, you know, for example, publicly traded are buying all the ASICs. And Bob Burnett from Barefoot Mining has a really good framework. He talks about elephants, horses, and rabbits. Elephants are the giant uh, mining companies. Horses are like the mid, the mid range ones. And rabbits are like, for example, individuals doing home mining. And, you know, he talks about the fact that the elephants are, are elephants are big, they're easy to hunt, and they don't reproduce very often. There's not, there's not a huge number of them. If all of our mining is concentrated in the big players, 
that becomes an attack vector potentially. And so then you see companies like Square that are basically saying, we're going to develop an open source home mining technology that is available to everyday people. And I think that the decentralization of the mining network is going to be a really big thing in future as, as ASIC technology improves. And, you know, ideally you can have a mining rig in your house that makes you maybe not a huge amount of money because you're not spending a huge amount of power, but enough that you can contribute and maybe be paid a little bit by funneling into a mining pool. And if we can have those rabbits, right, those individuals doing mining at home everywhere across the planet, you essentially make Bitcoin really hard to fuck with because it's so distributed. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, would, would that be something that you would get into in future? If you could buy like a, a mining machine or, or have a protocol for putting together your own mining machine, just like you can put together your own node for like $500, you know, would you do it? Without a doubt, I would do it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think like for me, like a couple of the roadblocks really, cause I've always been interested in it at least for the last year and a half or so, but really a couple of the roadblocks for me have always been like money. Cause you look at a, a, a you know, one of the like S 19s or a current ASIC and you're looking at like 10 or more thousand dollars yeah. USD. And, um, and then as far as like, just like technology wise, like I'm not, uh, you know, obviously I've, you know, I've been familiar and using computers since I was nine years old, but I'm not very technically savvy. And so I think there's always been that hesitancy there, but, um, yeah, like learning about, uh, the decentralization of mining and then like really, you know, with, with time comes like better user interfaces. And, and like you said, just more accessibility for like a rabbit individual to um, access and maybe even um, profit a little bit off of a mining rig. I mean, I would 100% do that. I think it's like really interesting, um, like the interplay, like especially after having this conversation with you today, like between technology and energy. Um, and really just thinking like, you know, on, I, I won't go too far into this rabbit hole just because I, I, you know, I haven't explored it too much, but it's like thinking about the future of energy and how it's being harnessed, you know, especially now with like companies like Tesla and batteries. Um, and so, you know, things that I can't fathom, like the, the future to me is exciting for energy. And like you said, I think that anybody listening that has had any like altcoin or shitcoin pitch to them, like, you know, that is one of the, like, that's one of the things that they'll argue against Bitcoin is that, you know, it's the energy and the processing power. And, and so that's dispelled right there for you. Um, you know, do, do some more research into that. Um, but I think, you know, and then, and then, and then as far as like the technology side, like you said, it's really exciting to, I, I can't remember who said it. It was maybe Michael, Michael Seller was saying that it's like the fifth generation of uh, ASIC technology that we have. So that's like, you know, 500 X, like five, you know, that's like a huge improvement. And then, I mean, everybody knows like how technology moves, like with your external hard drives, you can buy a one, you know, I used to have a hundred gigabyte hard drive and now it's like you can get a couple terabytes for the same price and so that's just the way that technology moves and um, I think like uh, you know someone who I really am enjoying learning about his perspectives on technology and the way it moves is Jeff Booth and I think that just the way that he um, like puts technology in a frame and, and really giving you the the ability to 
see how quickly it's been expanding uh, and, and moving forward, but also um, putting you into perspective that, you know, because we are here now, it's hard to see how fast it's moving. And so yeah. um, it's, it's really exciting for me, like the interplay of technology and energy. And like you said, I think that Bitcoin mining is uh, not going to be this huge. I mean, obviously, it's going to take a lot of energy to to power a global monetary network, but it's not going to be um, some, you know, apocalyptic uh, future. Uh, it's actually probably going to be really, you know, a really great, uh, you know, opportunistic future is what I think. Yeah. And, and like you said, Bitcoin seeks out green energy by virtue that it's accessible and cheaper. And so it's, a, it's like a giant profitable nudge for our social systems to go towards green energy. And I think that's going to be, a, that's a really powerful incentive for as a society, just to move away from dirty, unsustainable energy that's expensive, right? Um, and I think the word expensive has a lot of things packed into it, right? The energy cost per like unit of coal might be low, but the planetary cost of coal energy, the cost of maintaining all the machinery, like that cost is the real cost. And that's, that's really high. And so this whole idea that we're basically getting nudged towards clean, sustainable energy through Bitcoin, which is a, this global incentive for all companies to move towards sustainable energy is really cool. And, you know, when you're talking about solar, I kind of go like, when I go on a walk, I kind of think of this collision that's going to happen in future, whereby the price of, you know, technology, as it gets better, it gets better and it gets cheaper which is why like the cell phone you have in your pocket has more computing power than this, the, the spaceship uh, that we sent into space, like, you know, whatever, 20 years ago or something. And so if technology gets better and cheaper, you have this up ramp where um, the performance of a mining machine is getting better as the cost is dropping. And then you have this other curve, which is basically solar, uh, solar technology, solar panel technology and battery storage is also getting better and cheaper. So it's getting cheaper to own solar panels and batteries that can store that energy. Mining equipment is getting better and cheaper to buy. And so eventually you have this collision where like maybe an average family could get five solar panels that are so efficient at some point in the future, maybe this is like 10, 15 years in the future, that they can harness all the energy you need for all of your needs, especially if your appliances have gotten more efficient over time, plus have a huge surplus of energy so that you can plug that energy into a, a, some home mining computers, which are very compact and fairly inexpensive. And so you actually get paid to generate green, efficient energy. And the speed of that, like you said, it's really easy to take for granted how fast things are moving, right? But they're moving fast and they move exponentially faster over time. Because as we create technology that's better, the next version is built on that better one that better technology baseline. And so it's exponential. It doesn't get slightly better over time. It gets exponentially better. And so you, you kind of have this collision in future of better, cheaper, more accessible um, mining equipment, mining hardware, better, cheaper, more accessible energy um, harnessing equipment, solar panels, battery storage, to the point where like energy is not really a concern, right? And, and, and let's be real. Everything in society and in, in, in our culture requires energy. More energy equals more human flourishing. And so energy production is not bad, right? We can't look at energy as this bad thing where it's bad to generate energy. It's like, how is it generated? How sustainably is it generated? What is the cost, the real cost to produce that energy? And I think when all that's put into consideration and you understand where technology is going, we live in a world that has a massively protected monetary network 
that comes at a very low cost to our environment and will actually make the old environmentally harmful energies obsolete. That's a good future. And the accessibility is the same scenario that someone in an African tribe can have an Nokia cell phone. Maybe someone in an African tribe can afford two single solar panels and two little mining machines um, and can generate enough power for their village to afford uh, to, to basically make the world's hardest money that they can use to trade for food and f- with other tribes. And like, that's really cool. Um, and so I think people just, when people see that side of it, when they gain enough of an understanding to see like what this true potential is, what the incentives are, what we're moving towards, it becomes very hard to demonize Bitcoin, right? The, the, the deeper, the more shallow you understand it, the easier it is to um, find negatives because every negative that I've come across or that people have mentioned to me is based on a misunderstanding or um, too shallow of an understanding to really consider the other implications that are built into their assumption. And, you know, I've taken a different approach when people have objections to Bitcoin or say, oh, it's not good because of this. Instead of trying to defend Bitcoin, I've started to ask follow-up questions where, you know, they say, well, energy, Bitcoin uses too much energy. First thing I say is like, where did you hear that? Oh, I heard it on, I heard it in a newspaper. What did you read the article? What were they saying? What were the assumptions that were made? And so when you ask questions, you actually start to boil down Number one, how much work did that person put in to even say that sentence? Like, what is their proof of work that they actually researched it? And almost always there's zero proof of work. Like I heard it from this person or this paper. It's like, okay, well, that's not enough energy to, for me to have a valid conversation because you cl- clearly don't understand what you're even talking about. And then number two is just really like curiously trying to understand where's the fundamental assumption that guides them to this point. If they have done work, what's the fundamental assumption we disagree on? And then we can talk about that. But I think a lot of times, you know, in the earlier days, I would always try and defend Bitcoin by putting out stats or all this kind of stuff. And it fell on deaf ears because people just didn't give a shit. And when you ask questions, you essentially put the responsibility back on them to think and to essentially like share their research. Most of the time there is no research. And so that really gives you a starting point to say like, well, maybe have a read of this. I read this and it made me not really care about that argument and that argument not hold any water. Do you want me to send you that article to read? And if you read it, then we can talk about it. And I find that approach is a lot better in dealing with people that have these un, unfounded concerns. Um, and just always, you know, even in the Footner program, it's like, when it comes to health, it's better if you always prefer to learn than to be right, then you're always going to go at things with a curious perspective and try and understand the other person instead of simply trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong. Even if that's the case, I think the way you go about it really... Um, changes the dynamic of the conversation. And if our goal is to create more Bitcoiners, then we have to be much more welcoming to the fact that like when someone says something insanely stupid, like Bitcoin's going to boil the oceans, it's really easy to just say, you're silly. I'm not going to talk to you. It's harder to say, what makes you think that? Where did you hear that from? What's your rationale? But that is the more productive path to having that person learn about Bitcoin instead of just having them turned off because you just dismiss them. Um, What are your thoughts on you know, like I want to do a little summary, but kind of to wrap things up, um, what did researching for this episode do for your understanding of mining and how you would maybe explain mining, um, to like a curious person. So even let's do this, this little experiment. I'm a person that knows nothing about Bitcoin. I've just heard about it. And I know mining is, you know, new Bitcoin are created. What the heck is Bitcoin mining, Eddie? Like, what is Bitcoin mining? I know nothing about it. So keep it simple. 
what would you say? Well, Nick, Bitcoin mining is going to be, it's an, it's an, it's an essential part of the Bitcoin protocol. And what I mean by protocol is that it, essentially when you're sending a transaction on Bitcoin, in order to make sure that that transaction is correct, you have a miner that's going to verify that transaction and, or do the proof of work to verify that transaction. So I guess, you know, when I talk about proof of work, uh, I mean that a miner, or I guess you and I have this understanding that a miner is a, is a computer or a CPU or an ASIC, um, that uh, it's going to well, be doing I, this. So I had this conversation with my family and the, the, where I got to was that a miner is a human or group of humans who are engaging in the action of Bitcoin mining. An ASIC is the computer because people were confusing what is, is a miner, a computer or a human. And so I, I've started to say ASICs are the actual physical computers. Miners are the humans or groups of humans who put ASICs to work towards the productive activity of Bitcoin mining. So that might be a helpful model. Yeah, it is good. To, it is good to like separate those two pieces, because I think really like when you think about the, the proof of work that's being done, I guess to like finish up that thought. Um, is that, you know, these ASIC computers are doing these hard technical mathematical problems to verify this, this transaction. It's easy to verify that transaction. But in order to, you know, so where a miner comes into play is that they have, you know, essentially as a miner, you're going to be spending money and energy to help stand up the blockchain for Bitcoin and verify its, you know, validity. And, you know, as a reward, you get more Bitcoin. So really, you know, there, there's no incentive to be, you know, to, to um, mine incorrectly, you know, or lie or cheat, you know, as a miner. And it essentially backs up the entire system. Yeah. That's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, we're still working it out. Like this is our, yeah. essentially these episodes are our dojo for working out ways to explain things. Right. Um, and yeah, one thing I really like is that there is a, it's it's costly to cheat it's profitable to play by the rules charlie munger show me the incentive i'll show you the outcome that's how it if should be <laughs> if it's costly to cheat and it's profitable to play by the rules rational humans will play by the rules silly people will cheat and then they will stop cheating because it's too expensive to continuously cheat um yeah i really like that explanation and it's so there's just there's a million ways to describe bitcoin mining right right to that back to that layer cake it's like we often will reach for whatever knowledge we have, even though it's um, distributed amongst all those different layers. And it creates this almost confusing uh, explanation, which might make sense to us in our brains, but to someone who knows nothing about mining, um, it's basically just confuses the shit out of them. And I know I've done that many times in my life. And the honest people who have said, that was confusing as fuck. You need to clarify. I'm like, thank you. I will work on that. Um, and you really have to find purpose in understanding it. And, and more importantly, you have to have the time, right? You have to have the time to actually learn. And I think most of our learning um, in terms of how we're taught is really just based on knowing or memorizing. And I think that that fundamentally clashes with what's required to understand Bitcoin, to, to really learn about Bitcoin is to understand Bitcoin and to be able to explain something in 10 different ways, which actually is kind of what proves that you understand it, right? If you can only explain it one way and someone asks one question and you can't answer it, then you probably don't understand it. You probably just memorized or um, sort of took for granted that you knew what Bitcoin mining was. 
Yeah. And I think fundamentally, Bitcoin mining is the application of computer power to create blocks, to create pages in our distributed ledger. And the reward people get for doing that work is Bitcoin, which is how Bitcoin are minted in circulation according to the schedule of how many are created over time. And that's how we get to scarcity. That's how we get to the 21 million because it's embedded in the protocol that only a certain amount are created approximately every 10 minutes. And every four years, that amount goes in half. And I think when you start to connect, okay, the 21 million with decentralized ledger, blockchain, proof of work, when you start to connect all these dots and see how they actually can, because it's almost like, okay, I research proof of work. I research the ledger. I research blockchain. You research all these things. The key insights come when you start to be able to draw lines to create a web between all those points so that you know how they interact with each other instead of just knowing them as separate silos. And I think you have to know them as silos first to know what the landscape is, then you can start to map out the connections. And we're, you know, even just researching for this gave me a huge amount more connections. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, I was kind of testing out some stuff with uh, friends and family saying like, hey, do you want to learn about Bitcoin mining? Uh, and if you do, let me have a go and let me know, just be honest with me of how clear I've been able to make this. And even if they say, no, I don't want to, I'm like, too fucking bad. You're my family, you're gonna listen to this. Um, yeah. Let's do a little summary. So mining is what protects the global Bitcoin network. Put simply, mining uses computing power to compile new entries in the global ledger, and this process involves the creation of new Bitcoin. The computing power requires energy, and for their work, miners are compensated in Bitcoin. Miners being the humans who are employing computing power, ASICs are the computers themselves. So mining is a game that anyone can play. It's a lottery where a winner is picked every 10 minutes and the cost to buy a ticket is a unit of computing power. The more computing power you have, the more tickets you can buy, the more likely you are to win. The fiat system propagates FUD and demonizes Bitcoin mining energy use, but this energy use is both essential for Bitcoin and good because it's used to protect sound money for the world, which is incredibly important. And until you understand how important sound money for humanity is, you will never understand why Bitcoin um, puts energy to good use. So understanding Bitcoin and why it's so important is a precursor to even understanding why the energy use required to mine Bitcoin is a good use of energy. Um, Bitcoin mining involves a constant dynamic interplay between technology and energy. As technology improves over time, the Bitcoin network will increase its computing power. And as more, more efficient machines are developed, we require less energy relative to the increase in computing power. Um, I know we probably reiterated and repeated certain things multiple times in this episode, but that was done intentionally to try and explain it in different ways, slightly different ways might connect with different people. And so, uh, you know, we hope that was a helpful episode um, to give you an introduction to Bitcoin mining. And thank you for being here and having a curiosity to want to learn about Bitcoin and about Bitcoin mining. Um, make sure to check out our hash power show where we speak to actual miners and do deeper dives into mining concepts over time. Like we'll cover the difficulty adjustment. We'll cover mining pools. Um, we'll cover, um, sort of square, you know, whatever updates square puts out about their, uh, mining project to develop a, a, a just an open source ASIC. We'll kind of do updates about that on, on hash power. Uh, any, anything to add Eddie before we, uh, before we wrap this sucker up. Yeah, Nick, it was a really fun episode. And I guess what I would like to add is that uh, I think the exercise of defining mining for myself and being able to like engage in a really solid conversation with you is just showing me, uh, you know, because you really kind of have to 
in order to understand mining, you really have to dig into the nuts and bolts and, and start to really, like you said, kind of step back, take that, take those general understandings that you have, and then look at the whole picture and look at that net and uh, being able to like exercise that and, uh, and do that myself today has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope, you know, everybody was able to get uh, something, some good nugget out of this episode. And like Nick said in the beginning, like I would love any feedback course like i'm always learning and we're always learning and um you know it's always good to to um hear any any opinions or any thoughts from other people and uh, always craft a better understanding for the future cool yeah well said and i think for me the one thing i would um leave people with is that if you are learning about bitcoin try and understand it and be able to explain it in many different ways instead of just memorizing sort of certain lines of um or certain concepts alone and if you're explaining Bitcoin mining to someone, I think it's really helpful to start with giving them a general zoomed out picture of the whole puzzle before you zoom into the puzzle piece of mining. Because what I found is that when I dug into talking about mining to people who are asking about it without presenting first the reason for mining or what a blockchain is, uh, it really wasn't very effective, right? And even if, and, and with that, even if all you do is build context at a zoomed out level for the whole puzzle and then get into mining and they don't really understand the mining part, at least you've sharpened up your perspective of the zoomed out version of what this puzzle looks like. What is Bitcoin? What are the main ingredients in Bitcoin? Um, and sort of built clarity for the person you're talking to and probably for yourself. And I think you, I think a really deep role of Bitcoiners, like if you're a Bitcoiner, I think you have to constantly seek to master the art of understanding Bitcoin and know that people who understand Bitcoin um, almost have this like, like I feel a sense of duty to try and share what I know because I know how important Bitcoin has been for me and protecting my time and enabled me to have more time for health and for family and for doing things I love uh, and protecting me, giving me a shield from having my time stolen by the corrupt fiat system. And that, that sense of purpose, the fact that Bitcoin has changed my life and my perspective, um, and, and given me hope for humanity is really what makes me want to put the energy into learning about these things for both selfish reasons, but also selfless because it enables me to explain it better to others. And I've had, you know, five conversations with the same person and only one of those conversations has actually hit because I explained thing in, something in a slightly different way. And so I think mastering the craft of explaining Bitcoin in simple terms is no easy feat. Um, but I think it's really important for this whole community as a way to sort of be both holders and stewards of the, uh, of the monetary network, but also educators. I think that's really, it's so, I think education is the fundamental rate limiting step for us to grow this network and build a Bitcoin world. So thank you for listening, everyone. Um, we'll see you next time you stop by the Bitcoin Stoa for another conversation. If you enjoyed the content, you can support the project by heading to bitcoinstoa.com and sending some sats to the QR code on our homepage. Any amount helps. It's what we use to be able to fund this project, um, to host the podcast, and eventually to pay for guests um, that are creating content or pay for more contributors. Because ideally, this project goes beyond Eddie and I and welcomes tons of contributors and compensates people in Bitcoin for contributing great content for the Bitcoin community. So wishing you all a great day and ciao for now.